0: Hello, and welcome to Minnesota Soil Health Coalition's podcast. This is Kelly, the Coalition Assistant. Here, we'll discuss the principles of soil health and chat with those who advocate for it in Minnesota. One important principle for enhancing soil health is the integration of livestock. When ruminant animals, including cattle, sheep, and goats, are allowed to roam the land to graze on a tasty blanket of forages, They're ultimately making a positive contribution to the soil beneath them. Not only does the hoof traffic aerate the soil as they lumber along, they're also effectively recycling nutrients back to the soil as a result of the manure they leave behind. One cattle ranch out in Iowa has been perfecting the art of managed grazing for over two decades.
1: That actually started about 25 years ago.
0: That's Carl Dalafeld, who owns Dallefeld Cattle Ranch out in Iowa along with his son, Kyle.
1: I was working for traditional corn companies and we were actually grazing sheep at that time. And we were, I was looking at ways that we could look at it this way, maybe increase the efficiency so we could run more livestock and then started looking at some of the, what people were doing with managed pastures. And then in 1999, I went to work for actually a grass seed company and, uh, they were all about education on, on rotational grazing and manage, manage pastures. And uh, Kyle, I would say probably 1995, we got into the, um, raising our own cattle at that point. We were grazing a few sheep and then switched over to cattle because um, my love was always on the cattle side of things and uh, started way back then.
0: When it comes to cattle grazing, a few different key breeds come to mind. You've got Angus, Holstein, Jersey, or the Hereford, a relatively common breed known for its hardiness and excellent temperament. This is the featured breed of the Dallafeld Cattle Company, though this wasn't always the case.
1: Probably, when was it Kyle? About 2005, that's when we uh, moved over to the Herefords. Before that, we were doing some grass finishing and mixed breeds and, and things like that, kind of dialing in what we, what we liked.
0: So what is it about the Hereford breed that calls to Carl and Kyle? In some cases, the choice of breed comes down to observing the generations that came before us.
1: My grandfather actually bought some Herefords out of uh, Nebraska years and years ago, and I guess that's probably when my love
2: for them started. I guess where I come into it is dad's always liked her for cattle.
0: In other cases, as Kyle says, it doesn't hurt to choose a breed that results in a good-looking herd.
2: And he's also always said, um, you know, when you choose a breed, you, there's a lot of consideration that has to go into a lot of traits, but the most important is that you have to like to look at them. They have yep. to be an
0: attractive cattle.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you if are ugly, and, like, we don't want to... don't want to look at them then it's not going to work.
0: In addition to co-managing a grazing operation and serving as vice president for Iowa-based seed company Prairie Creek Seed, Kyle's been spending a little time venturing into the world of genetics. By observing others in his industry, Kyle was able to identify a unique opportunity to explore the possibilities available with Herefords.
2: I've, I've been watching what others have done with the Angus breed in particular um, there's been several producers that have been combining modern um, and historic genetics to create a gene pool of a more moderate framed uh, Angus. And so they they'd gone to places that had been breeding closed herds for a while that, that kind of had the, the classic phenotype. So they'd gone to Y plantation in Maryland or Pine Bank in, in New Zealand or Oldie Cattle Company in Kansas and cross those gene pools to create a more, more modern um, grass-type animal. And there wasn't really anybody doing that with, with Herefords. Pure breeding is a lot different than, than just ranching or raising commercial cattle, in that if you're raising commercial cattle, you, you probably should be crossbreeding um, because of the heterosis when you cross two, two breeds. So we, um, we've always thought of the baldy, whether that's a black baldy, a red baldy, a tiger stripe Brahma baldy cross, those Hereford crosses have always been kind of considered the, the queen of cow country. So we, we put together some uh, very linebred genetics first. We, we got genetics from, um, from some from Oklahoma and some from Montana and some from, from our home state of Iowa. And put those together and began crossing the lines to to do something similar to those breeding Angus breeding programs that I admired for for quite a while so now what we should be able to create is a crossbred animal that fits a grass only program as we're we're moving forward we're continuing to select for maternal and functional traits so the you know the The most, one of the most important economic factors in raising cattle is reproduction. So we have to have a a fertile problem-free female. So we've just been selecting for those, those better female lines.
0: talking about what types of plant species to use for grazing livestock, diversity is key. The list of options is expansive, so diversifying is relatively easy. A variety of species helps to build the overall resiliency of the field, and your cattle will love you for it. This diversity is not a new concept for the Dalafeld Cattle Company. I asked Kyle and Carl to talk about what species they plant for forage, a list that continues to change and grow.
2: We have a pretty diverse blend of mostly cool season grasses. Um, we have fescue, um, orchard grass, bluegrass, ryegrass, brome, um, timothy. Um, any, anything else, Deb, that you can throw in there? Uh, yeah, at one time
1: uh, where we were grass finishing cattle several years ago, I counted 51 different species. So to go through that whole list, could take a while, but we also have red clover, alcyc, white clover, there's trefoil out there, um, there's chicory, we'll find plantain plants, uh, still find little burnet, I mean there's there's a lot of uh, diversity out there. And then Kyle mentioned the bromes, actually we have three different types of bromes out there. Um, so, you know, that's kind of exciting when you can go out there and start looking at the different plants and, and uh, naming them all.
0: Once you have the forages available for the livestock, integrating it into one cohesive system does take additional planning. But, as Carl indicates, it's not as overwhelming as you might think.
1: Going through a day in the, in the life of our cattle operation is, is pretty easygoing, really. With the rotational grazing, we're, we have cow-calf pairs currently, so we're not grass finishing at the moment. So I try to move the cows every two to four days, because I look at it this way, we don't want to overgraze. And there comes a point where if you're out there longer than five or so days, you're going to start coming back and grazing what they've they've, uh, eaten before. And then that takes extra energy from the plant, so you don't get quite the production. So the days that they're out there are important, but more importantly is how long of a rest and recovery period does the pasture have.
0: This rest and recovery piece that Carl is talking about is one of the most critical components of integrating livestock. So what happens during this time?
1: That's time for the plants to regenerate, uh, root back down, build up root reserves, and just maintain a healthy stand.
0: So with a fully functioning system, what kind of economic benefits can one expect by integrating livestock?
1: From the economic side of it, uh, anytime that you're not uh, feeding a cow and she's out on pasture grazing herself, you're saving yourself money. You've got to look at the cost of hay to feed them. Uh, And then manure management, because if you have them confined, you're going to have to uh, put that back out on the fields. So... From an economic standpoint, anytime you can have those cows grazing, and that be whether it's a cow-calf bear or a, a stalker, or with all grass finishing, um, the more time you can have them grazing, less time you can be feeding feeding them harvested uh, feedstuffs, the more economical or the more money you're gonna make. So that's number one. With the grass market, um, you can have a premium, and if you have if you have really good soil health and you have really good forages, your rate of gains can be very, very good to where you can be competitive with a, a feedlot. So you put that on top of of uh, potential or possible premiums it It pencils out a lot better.
0: Remember when I said integrating livestock is one of the principles of soil health? Well, this is clearly the case at Dalafeld Cattle Company. As Carl shares, he has plenty of visual evidence that his soil is full of life.
1: One of the things that we do see just visually is when you look at a pasture, it should actually be a pretty dark green. And that means that you've got soil biology that's out there exchanging nutrients. You've got nitrogen that is, is uh, coming free from the ground. And in that recovery period when we're out there, we can see a lot more uh, plant species. And another indicator of, of the health or things that we've, we've noticed over time is, not only is the plant species, the diversity there. And before I go any further, I will say that we do intercede on occasion to add even a little more diversity or you have weather issues or where you overwinter, we'll seed that back in. So we wanna maintain that thick, dense stand and, and have that diversity. Uh, from another aspect, you actually see a lot more critters. We have grass frogs that'll be jumping ahead of you when you got the UTV out there. Now you'll have spider webs. <laughs> you'll see a lot more above ground activity as well. So those are all good indications that you've got a healthy uh, soil.
0: For those of you who are thinking about shifting to grazing, Carl has some advice for you. For starters, he says, be flexible.
1: One of the first things I that come to mind if I'm talking to somebody, I started out because we can really overcomplicate things. And the number one thing is, is don't make your plan so rigid that if you do have issues or you stumble, that you just feel overwhelmed and, and just quit. So flexibility is, is extremely important. That way you can make adjustments and then that rest and recovery period up front, you know, sometimes you might want to move cattle every day or two, sometimes three or four days because some of our pastures, we might not come back for what have some of it been Kyle, 45 to 50 days before cattle come back. So that those plants have plenty of time to build up their root reserves. That's, that's called flexibility. And then the other one would be invest in things that'll pay back quicker. Don't go out and build a whole bunch of interior infrastructure. Get poly wire and step in posts and reels and then you can be flexible and kind of learn how big your paddocks need to be or where you like them because you put something in permanent and you want to tear it out, you've got a big expense. Whereas with polywires, if you make a mistake, you won't see it in about three weeks because the grass will grow back.
0: If you'd like to find out more about Dallafeld Cattle Company and their mission, you can find them on Facebook. That's Dallafeld Cattle Company. Thanks to Carl and Kyle Dallafeld for joining me today, and we'll catch you next time on the Minnesota Soil Health Coalition podcast. Happy farming!